with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to the show. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we have for you a fish wrap. Today's newspaper is tomorrow's fish wrap. Front page of most newspapers in the country today, I'm sure. Certainly front page of the New York Times above the fold. Santos is indicted as inquiry claims three finance schemes. Charges include fraud, theft, and lying. Lawmaker pleads not guilty. The, the first paragraph, the lead for months, Representative George Santos seemed to possess a Teflon-like resistance to repercussions, even as questions mounted over his income, campaign finances, and rags-to-riches life story. Okay, this is the Republican representative from Long Island and Queens who lied his way into a congressional seat and was exposed. The f- interesting thing about this uh, is not necessarily the politics, although the Republicans are all of a sudden really enthusiastic about this presumption of innocence and the fact that the guy is a total fraud and has admitted it doesn't matter. We're going to give him a seat because, well, we're Republicans and we want his vote and we don't have any moral fiber at all. The piece I'd like to ask your reaction to, Buzz, is what was written by David Firestone, a member of the editorial board of The New York Times, who spent more than two decades as a reporter and an editor. Under the headline, the the opinion piece, Santos pushed campaign money abuse past the usual line in which the story is, this was the stupidest scheme ever invented for engaging in uh, campaign finance fraud. And it was not even close to send money directly to my bank account. It's for uh, the campaign. It's not even close. It's a stupid scheme. He's the worst criminal in the world, but he's a criminal. Of course, the fact that those facts are now transparently obvious and he has admitted them as a practical matter has no effect on the Republicans in the House of Representatives. I know how you feel about Mr. Santos personally. Thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners that won't cost us our FCC license? Buzz, please. Well, I've never heard of him. Oops, <laughs> I'm lying. No, I think it's really interesting. In this particular case, not only, you know, we hear about politicians lining their pockets. In this case, he stole money to buy the pockets. This guy is, he, he's so far, the, the fact that anybody could want to be represented by somebody who um, is a pathological liar, he gives new meaning to the term pathological, there's a real sickness here. What's really troubling, Bill, is that the Speaker of the House is still standing behind him to get that vote. I mean, we just, every time we think we can't be more frightened about how far our governance has gone into corruption, we go a little bit further. And in this particular case, uh, he was asked yesterday, Kevin McCarthy was asked, would you support him if he ran again? And he said, uh, I'll have to think about that one. I, I, it's just so chilling. My, my thoughts are uh, we've descended into an abyss that we really have to dig our, our way out of. We have a long way to go. But I'm so grateful the Justice Department really paid attention. And it seems like, I mean, the guys, mail fraud, cover up larceny, taking campaign finances, you're right, right into his bank account is the allegation, and we're all entitled to the presumption of innocence, but um, these are chillingly horrific facts. Right, but the presumption of innocence is something that applies to criminal, a criminal trial. In terms of the House of Representatives... Get him out of there. Well, 
but the House of Representatives is entitled to decide, has the authority to decide the uh, eligibility of its own members. And the fact that Santos has been charged, albeit with 13 counts of wire fraud, money laundering, stealing public funds and lying uh, on federal disclosure forms, all of that uh, doesn't actually need a presumption of innocence. They could have a hearing in the House where the standard is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. It's just, is there overwhelming evidence that the guy doesn't deserve a seat in the House of Representatives and it is an affront to the country that he's seated? And it is truly reprehensible, I think, that the House just stands behind him. Leave aside. You don't need a criminal charge at all. Do we know what he did? Does this man deserve to be in the House of Representatives? I can't agree with you more. He does not deserve to be in the House of Representatives. And I feel really badly for those uh, almost a million people that he represents. It's, it's really unthinkable that people have to rely on uh, somebody like him who has no moral fiber to, uh, to, to speak for them in their, quote-unquote, democratic uh, republic. It, it, it's shameful. There are campaign finance schemes that actually he could have employed, and these are called 501c4 organizations, and money goes through them. It's dark money. The, money, the donors aren't disclosed. It's, uh, it's, it's essentially a fraud that is legal and and they, pockets are lined. And yeah. all sorts of things happen, mostly keeping the donors secret. And so millions and millions of dollars are funneled into campaigns that couldn't legally be funneled into campaigns, and that's that they happen. But as David Firestone points out in his opinion piece today, and this is a quote, the scheme the representative is accused of running was flagrant and spectacularly dumb. To, to use uh, campaign donations to buy designer clothes, spectacularly Directly dumb. to his checking account. That is spectacularly dumb. Look, the Congress has set up a way where you can really cheat your way into the seat by using these 501c4 organizations. It's actually semi-legal, sort of, kind of, maybe. But he didn't even bother to set up the organization that could have covered it up for him. And even though it is not criminal to say that you went to Brook College and played volleyball there because you know some... It's spectacularly dumb when you say that and know that you're going to come under the scrutiny of uh, some reporter at some point to say the guy just he lives in a separate reality that we don't live in. Well, this like our former president does. OK, and let's spend a minute on our f our the former president, Donald <laughs> Trump, who was on television last night spectacularly uh, defaming his accuser again, uh, lying again. It, promoting his his untruths about the twenty the uh, twenty twenty election again, uh, saying that he had done nothing wrong ever. It was a tour de force of falsehoods, lying, and and political propaganda. But there was that crowd there laughing at his jokes about sexually assaulting women. Wait, that's funny. And but really. Uh, 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 he got away, not only got away with it, speaking he, he of, wowed the crowd. Speaking of a dumb liar, how's this? I never even met the woman, but they said I didn't rape her. It was only a sexual <laughs> assault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did, he did start out with saying, hey, I wasn't found responsible for the rape. It was only for the sexual assault and Hasn't the lying. Hasn't the judge warned him about this behavior? He did he warn did. him, uh, and he, he just committed last night the same civil infraction, civil violation that he was found. Could uh, he just be arrested? Well, 
but he was not found guilty of anything. This was a civil case, and he was found responsible, uh, found that he had, in fact, uh, committed the assault, the sexual assault, found to have beyond, again, not not beyond a reasonable doubt by preponderance of the evidence uh, on the assault, found that it happened. It seems to be a bit of a compromised verdict because if the sexual assault happened, it seemed to me that that there was probably penetration that it was right. also was believed would have been believed and but the jury didn't find that the jury found him not responsible with regard to the uh, rape. But and let me ask you a real question, Bill. I don't know the answer to it. Do you did you hear? Have you been exposed to any of the evidence? about whether there was penetration or not, what happened actually. Yeah, she charged, she, she testified to it. But I mean, in terms of... The victim charged, testified that it happened, but the, he was not found responsible for that. I'm saying the details of what happened might, in there might be some jurors feeling just didn't go quite far enough. I, I don't but know. But it was a unanimous verdict, nine to nothing, on all the counts. So there didn't seem to be dissent about it. It may have been a compromise, but we don't know what the jury deliberations were. We don't know what the testimony was either. I'd love to hear exactly what she said about what happened anatomically down below, but we don't, we don't have to go there today. Yeah, let's not go there today. Let's just say Trump lied for over an hour and got away with it. And it's hopefully a- within the next decade, we'll have some closure on the appeals. We'll be right back. We're going to hear about, talk about, well, misrepresentations. We're going to hear about a center in Greenfield, and there is a rally, demonstration. Here's the flyer. It starts, expose fake pregnancy centers. We'll be right back to talk about that with our special guest, Susan Triolo, and Amherst High School senior, well, you know her, and we'll introduce her right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Oh, the places you'll go. This Dr. Seuss book might be the quintessential graduation gift. Broadside has it, plus other books for grads. Like What Now by Ann Patchett, Navigate Your Stars by Jesmyn Ward. Toni Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, Selected Essays, Speeches, and Meditations. Browse Broadside Bookshop for inspiring books for graduates. How about Devotions, The Selected Poems of Mary Oliver. How about Rough Sleepers by Tracy Kidder. Or Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things. Browse Broadside, buy a book for a grad. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s. A real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million. A bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote, 586-1000. 
When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about voting it. as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome back to our show Susan Triolo, who is a political activist well-known to many of you. She is a member of Western Mass Code Pink, Women for Peace, and the Franklin County Continuing the Political Revolution Reproductive Justice Task Force. Also, we have with us and back on the show, Marisol Pierce Boniface. I said she was a senior. She's not. She's a sophomore at Amherst Regional High School, and she's the director of Generation Ratify Amherst. Welcome back to the studio, both of you. I'd like to start with you, if I might, Susan Triolo. There's an event happening May 13th, this weekend, this Saturday, right, in Greenfield. What is it? Why is it? It's called Expose Fake Pregnancy Centers. We will be gathering in Greenfield um, Saturday at 10 a.m. on the Greenfield Common for a rally first, a standout, and then about um, 11 o'clock we'll be doing a march down to the Alternatives Pregnancy Center in Greenfield. And our goal is to expose... um, a crisis pregnancy center as what we call an anti-abortion center. Okay, tell us more about that. What do you mean? Uh, What we mean is that these anti-abortion centers are basically anti-abortion movement storefronts that masquerade as health clinics and non-biased counseling centers. And there is one in Greenfield? There's four in Western Mass. Where are they? There's one in Greenfield. There's one in Worcester, there's one in Athol, and there's one in Springfield. And there's going to be, an, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there's going to be an action in Springfield as well. And the address for that is um, 1259 East Columbus Avenue, Springfield, mm-hmm. and that's from 11 to noon. Also on Saturday. Also on Saturday. And we are part of a statewide action um, with multiple um, rallies, marches, standouts that will be, be happening in at least a half a dozen cities across the state of Massachusetts. Will there be, in addition to the march and the rally, will there be some speakers, uh, information shared? Tell us just a bit more about what will happen Saturday in Greenfield on the town common. Yeah, we will have a... Um, a program combination of speakers, songs, chant, and one of our primary goals is movement building uh, for um, the abortion rights movement and reproductive justice movement. Let me turn now, if I might, from Susan Triolo to Marisol Pierce Bonifaz, who is a sophomore at Amherst Regional High School, the director of Generation Ratify Amherst. Marisol, Why are you involved with this, and what is Generation Ratify doing? 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, Generation Ratify is the youth-led chapter of a national organization working towards legal gender equality and reproductive justice. Um, And we're involved because crisis pregnancy centers are um, very harmful towards people who are pregnant, looking to have safe, accurate information and the privacy. Often crisis pregnancy centers are not licensed medical clinics. Um, So they have unlicensed personnel and they do not have to abide by any privacy regulations mandated um, by the state for licensed medical clinics. Um, They provide false and harmful information uh, regarding abortions. There's ideas that like they say that abortion will decrease your mental health or give you breast cancer, which is things that have improved not to be true at all. Um, And we really believe that it is extremely important for everyone to get safe and accurate reproductive health care and that these centers are very traumatic and harmful for those for people um, and will deceive and deceive them to believing that they're abortion centers or family planning centers when in fact they're not. How long has Generation Ratify, or is this the basis or part of the basis for the founding of Generation Ratify, this fight for reproductive justice? Yeah, we've been around for three years, um, uh, the local chapter, and then the national has been around since 2019. Uh, But we have definitely mobilized more ever since the overturning of Roe v. Wade to really ensure that we keep our bodily autonomy and reproductive health care. And it's really a prevalent issue, crisis pregnancy centers in Massachusetts, because there are approximately 30 crisis pregnancy centers in Massachusetts, and they currently outnumber abortion clinics three to one. Really? That's quite astounding. It's actually four to one in Western Mass. That is Susan, Susan Triolo, who is a political activist, longtime political activist here in the Valley. Uh, why this Saturday? Is there any particular uh, reason why the demonstration comes together this Saturday in Greenfield and in Springfield? Or is it just a date that was set to bring this information and this movement to expose these fake pregnancy counseling centers, emergency centers, crisis pregnancy centers they call themselves – um, any, any specific reason behind the date? We planned these actions for the day before Mother's Day. And the reason for that is because many people choose to have children, but many of us choose not to have children. And we want to bring attention to um, how these anti-abortion centers interpose themselves into this decision that people have about whether or not to have children. And the whole um, notion about reproductive justice is a broader idea. Uh, It's not just about um, abortion rights. It's about the right of families to raise healthy children in safe and sustaining communities. Let me turn back to uh, Marisol Pierce Bonifaz. When you, as a high school student, uh, are organizing with your colleagues, friends, and fellow activists. Uh, is this a major issue that stands out beyond others, or is it part of a larger uh, smorgasbord of uh, issues and policies that are demanding the attention of uh, Generation Ratify? 
Yeah, thank you. I have um, one one addition to what Susan said as well um, in terms of Mother's Day. While we acknowledge that a lot of people who choose to be pregnant identify as female, um, there are a lot of people who are pregnant who are not and are members of the LGBTQ plus community. So there are individuals that uh, do not identify as female that also choose to be pregnant and go through with it. Um, but yes, to answer your question, um, there are a lot of different matters that we work on. I think crisis pregnancy centers are very important, especially because they are something that a lot of people are unaware of um, and that their magnitude in Massachusetts. Um, and as well, they have a lot of um, digital deception that they do. Uh, like if someone um, under the age of 18 was looking for an abortion clinic and trying to keep that privacy, um, there's often one of the, when you look up like family planning clinics, um, what will come up on Yelp, they clarify what's a crisis pregnancy center, but on Google, they only clarify what a family planning clinic is. Um, and often they buy uh, crisis pregnancy centers, um, work with the software so they can have their um, centers listed at the top. So um, this deceptive information can go right to them. There's also um, different reports in this magazine uh, that Carrie Baker has done. Uh, in regards to college students being deceived by these different centers, there was one on the Problem Pregnancy Center in Worcester, and a woman who was very involved in reproductive justice and organized and still got deceived by one of these centers and how traumatizing of that experience it was. So while this is very important, especially education on crisis pregnancy centers, um, there's still a lot of different other concerns within Generation Ratify um, and the reproductive health care sphere for us. It seems to me, given the... Uh, uh prevalence of these ads on social media for these so-called uh, crisis pregnancy centers, these CPCs, these uh, uh, institutions, these uh, storefronts that do not give advice, do not uh, provide uh, uh, what women who are looking for a crisis pregnancy information do not give them what they need or want and, and have an agenda of their own. It seems to me that your work as uh, the director of uh, Generation Ratify Amherst, you have a, high, a hard hill to climb to somehow counter the misinformation with accurate information. Am I painting too, too bleak or difficult a picture? No, you, you are correct. Um, luckily, we do have a lot of amazing um, legislators and government officials that are working to combat this as well. There's a lot that the Attorney General has been doing, both Attorney General, former Attorney General Healy, and now Attorney General Campbell regarding consumer warnings on these centers. Um, and there's also some local fights on deceptive advertising bylaws uh, that we're occurring to make sure that this deceptive advertising by these centers um, is not allowed. Um, and then there's a lot of amazing, amazing legislators I don't represent on this um, show, but I do work for State Representative Sabadosa, who's been doing a lot of amazing work on reproductive justice. Um, so it is an uphill battle, but it is a battle that we can climb and that we can climb together. Amherst does have such a bylaw. Does Greenfield have such a bylaw? I don't know the answer to that. No. I don't believe Greenfield's been introduced. Um, Amherst did not pass the bylaw, though it was introduced. Oh. East Houston's one is under debate. There was one uh, that was... I believe passed in Worcester, but I could be wrong on that. And I know there was one passed in Somerville. And there may be one in the works for Greenfield. I think we should get them in the works. Let's have a final word from you, if we might, Susan Triol. Where is the rally, the demonstration, the standout, the speak out? Where, where and when? Um, can I just say there sure. is a law in the works in Massachusetts. Um, it's called the uh, Abortion Access Act. It's an act enhancing access to abortion care. 
and it's sponsored by Senator Becca Rausch and Representative Sally Kearns, or Karens. Uh, it's S1114, that's Senate Bill 1114, and House Bill 1599. Um, and if people want more information because they're driving in their car and can't write that information down, who do they contact? Uh, they can contact me um, at 413-665-8246. And I don't know, Marisol, if you want to give your number. Well, you don't have to do that on the air, but they can they can Google uh, Generation Ratify Amherst and get get to you. Is that well right, said. Marisol? And- Yes, that's right. Or you can email generationratify.amherstma at gmail.com. Okay, again. It's Expose Fake Pregnancy Centers, uh, Greenfield Town Common, this Saturday, May 13th from 10 to noon. Susan Triola, Marisol Pierce Bonifas. Thank you both so very much. Thanks I for your I just want to act- remind activism. you there's also another one in Springfield, and the address on that, um, and it's 11 to noon, is um, 1259 East Columbus Avenue. Thank you both so very much. And I feel I've earned my right to choose. You don't get to pay God, man, I don't. You don't get to pay God. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Donna Woodcock, former Greenfield High School principal and athletic director, has died following the car accident that occurred Friday night on Route 2 in Shelburne. On Monday, Karen Woodcock and the Northwestern DA's office said Donna remained alive as of that day, despite erroneous reports circulating online. Woodcock served as Greenfield High School's principal from 2008 to 2016 and also served as the athletic director and coach. Massachusetts public health emergency order ends today. Massachusetts health care providers, patients, and visitors are no longer required to wear masks, and state officials will instead focus resources on prevention and virus management. Department of Public Health Commissioner Dr. Robert Goldstein says while the pandemic is not over, the Bay State can be considered, quote, a better place. Goldstein noted that statewide transmission and community levels are down across the Commonwealth, and some hospitals are reporting no COVID-19 cases for the first time since the start of the pandemic. The Massachusetts Executive Department will also end its obligation today for employees to be vaccinated per an executive order from Governor Maura Healey. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. Counselors at Amherst Regional Middle School are facing accusations of anti-LGTBQ actions in a student-written article published this week. The article, printed in the graphic, makes allegations by students and families against counselors Hector Santos, his daughter Tanya Cabrera, and Delinda Dykes. According to the Gazette, the article provides numerous specific incidents. Superintendent Michael Morris says a Title IX investigation is underway. Sunshine this morning, then clouds roll in this afternoon. There's the slight chance of a shower after 3 o'clock, a high of 76 to 80. Variable clouds tonight, also the chance for an overnight shower or sprinkles, a low of 46 to 52. Sun cloud mix here tomorrow, a high of 80 to 84. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Reshivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
Un jurado encontró a Donald Trump responsable el martes por abusar sexualmente de la columnista Elizabeth Jean Carroll en 1996, otorgándole 5 millones de dólares en un juicio que podría atormentar al expresidente mientras hace campaña para recuperar la Casa Blanca. El veredicto fue dividido. Los miembros del jurado rechazaron la afirmación de Carroll de que fue violada y encontraron a Trump responsable de un menor grado de abuso sexual. El juicio se suma a los problemas legales de Trump y ofrece una vindicación a Carroll cuyas acusaciones habían sido burladas y rechazadas por Trump durante años. Ella asintió cuando se anunció el veredicto de un tribunal federal de la ciudad de Nueva York solo tres horas después de que comenzaran las deliberaciones. Luego abrazó a los partidarios y sonrió entre lágrimas. Los miembros del jurado también encontraron a Trump responsable de difamar a Carroll por sus acusaciones. Trump no asistió al juicio civil y estuvo ausente cuando se leyó el veredicto. Trump arremetió de inmediato en su sitio de redes sociales, afirmando que no conoce a Carroll y refiriéndose al veredicto como una vergüenza y una continuación de la cacería de brujas más grande de todos los tiempos. Prometió apelar. En otras informaciones, el presidente Joe Biden y los principales legisladores acordaron el martes continuar las conversaciones destinadas a romper un punto muerto sobre el aumento del límite de deuda de Estados Unidos de 31.4 billones de dólares con solo tres semanas antes de que el país se vea obligado a un incumplimiento sin precedentes. Después de aproximadamente una hora de conversaciones en la oficina Oval, Biden y el presidente republicano de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, comprometieron a sus asistentes a discusiones diarias sobre áreas de posible acuerdo a medida que se avecine el incumplimiento el 1 de junio. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. So this is a bit odd. There's an election. On Monday, May 15th, in Belchertown. And it's an important election, I think, because there is a candidate, Lisa Lassard Pearson, who's with us in the studio today, who, if and when she is elected, would be the first out lesbian on the Belchertown Select Board. I'm not a big fan of identity politics, but it strikes me as astounding that it's 2020. Where are we? 2023? 2023. And we are still saying the first gay person, the first lesbian to be X, Y, or Z, but it's true. You would be the first out, out gay person, the first out lesbian on the Belchertown Select Board. I would. Is this an issue that has come up in your campaign? When people are saying to you, or has there been pushback because of that? It seems so antithetical to the values of the community writ large, but, well... There has not been previously been a lesbian on the Belchertown Select Board. So appreciate if you would share your thoughts about that, Lisa Lassard Pearson. Well, Bill, I first of all want to thank you for uh, uh, bringing me on to your show. I really appreciate the opportunity. And um, I really love Belchertown. I can't speak for the community in terms of uh, if there are haters. Um, I've met a lot of really wonderful people in Belchertown and have uh, have been welcomed. Uh, I have felt um, respected. Uh, I think that it is long overdue, though, uh, that we have representation from uh, someone in the gay community. But uh, overall, 
Belchertown has just been very warm and welcoming. It, uh, it's a beautiful place to live. There's, um, How long have you been there? I'm going into my third year now. And there, it, is, it is absolutely beautiful. I have a little brook that runs along my house, and um, you know, I can watch the frogs, and there is an occasional heron that lands, and when it does... You know, I make sure to tell all my friends. Um, there's Wallace Lake Sensory Park, which is a, a very cool experience, Bill. If you haven't been there, you should go. Um, it is, uh, it, it is uh, accessible for wheelchairs, and um, uh, if um, you have problems with sight, uh, it is accessible, which me, makes it unusual. Let me ask you this, Lisa Lassard-Pearson, candidate yes. for Belchertown Select Board. Thank you. For those of our... Listeners who do not know you, uh, I th- would appreciate if you take a minute, give us your background, tell us why you're qualified for this position, and then I will throw you a softball question, which is, why do you want to be on the board? What do you hope to accomplish? But first, tell us a bit about you. Well, I was um, born and raised in Massachusetts and uh, went to Plymouth Carver High School, where um, so I was, I've been near the ocean most of my life. The... Um, the town that I grew up in, though, was Foxborough until the stadium was built. But then I got my, um, my bachelor's degree from Emerson College and my MBA from Suffolk University. And you, your master's degree. And what, what have you done for uh, work since? Oh, I've held numerous positions. I was assistant vice president of uh, creative and web marketing for United Way of New England and uh, National Communications Director for um, the uh, NAGE, SEIU NAGE, which is government employees, law enforcement, EMTs and paramedics, federal and state workers. Uh, And I was also Executive Director of the Jerome and Lyle uh, Rappaport Foundation, as well as a cancer survivorship nonprofit. Those are just some. And you've been involved in various political kinds of activities. I have. Uh, I was appointed by then uh, Governor William Weld to serve on the Gay and Lesbian Youth Commission, which, uh, working with the Department of Education and the Department of Public Health, established the first safe schools program in the country, which meant the establishment of uh, the first gay-straight youth alliances. And those are for everyone. It is a anti-bullying overall initiative. You have this broad skill set, one of which is your political activism and your work on behalf of the LGBTQ community. You also have this master's in business administration. You're a finance person. You're a numbers person. Yes, I am. How, is that, how does that fit into what you envision as your work on the select board in Belchertown? Well, we have a 1.8 uh, uh, 1.8 structural deficit. 1.8 million dollars. Thank you. 1.8 million dollars structural deficit. This is within the operating budget that uh, has been uh, has created a balanced budget, but through the use of ARPA one-time only money and through our reserves, or uh, as as it's known, rainy day funds. And our rainy day funds are about five percent right now when they should be a healthy 8 or 9%. So what needs to be done in order, at $1.8 million, a structural deficit means you put pencil to paper and you come out $1.8 million short this year and next year. What are you going to do? Well, 
The short answer is we have to sharpen our pencils, right? We need to take a look at... Hoisted by my own analogy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it goes. Uh, we, we need to sharpen our pencils and look at the, the budget overall and realize savings. Uh, this might We have open positions right now on the school side as well as the town side. We need to take a look at uh, are they... Uh, do they absolutely need to be filled? And if we can save some money uh, by pausing on those hires until we can get back up to speed, that would be optimal. Uh, we also need to look at economic development, which is, you know, it's ripe for uh, places that already have empty storefronts or at the state school which you know, we're already working on now in terms of building a creative economy. This is, a, this is how I see us meeting the needs, through economic development, through taking a close look at the budget, uh, and by keeping uh, Belchertown's charm, because uh, it is a beautiful place to live, and we don't want to change that. Let me ask you... A straight-out political question. This election for the vacant uh, select board seat is Monday, May 15th. And as a person who obviously does not live in Belchertown, but I have interest in this town, and it is a beautiful town in, in Hampshire County, I would like to know what the obstacles are for your campaign. Monday, May 15th, an election? I mean, I think that's a kind of a recipe for a really low turnout. And is there early voting going on? or is that Yes, there is. And I encourage everyone to get out uh, and vote early uh, and invite all your friends to do so. This is not a done deal. Um, I'm the only one that is that appears on the ballot. But uh, if people don't go out and vote for me, then... Um, Right. There was a write-in candidate <laughs> who could prevail. That's right. So That's right. And so they're counting th on a low voter turnout. So this is a special election to fill an, uh, an unexpired uh, vacancy. It is. And there's also um, two vacancies on the school committee as well as other openings. So this is a special election. And what hours are the polls open on Monday? Very good question. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And like I said, early voting is now. So you can vote right now. But the important thing is on May 15th, get out and vote. Doesn't matter if it's raining, snowing, please. Uh, this is, it's your voice that matters. Um, God, I hope it's not snowing. <laughs> <laughs> it is New England. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, if people want to know more about your candidacy and you, is there a website? There is a Facebook page, Lisa Lassard Pearson for Belchertown. And I, I, I welcome any communication, uh, either Facebook or um, uh, email, lissardpearson at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to help my campaign, um, please reach out to me. Or if you want to sign, I'm happy to drive one to your house. We've been doing standouts, and um, we're just doing everything possible. Again, the election is this Monday, the 15th of May, and polls are open from 8 to 8, did you say? Yes, yes. Well, good luck on the campaign. Lisa Lassard-Pearson, thank you so very thank much. Thank you, Bill. You've been lovely. Thank you. 
and you really have. Pay me my money down. Tomorrow is our sailing day. Pay me my money down. Pay me, pay me, pay me my money down. Pay me or go to jail. Pay me my money down. As soon as that boat clears the bar. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Are you going to be growing tomatoes, growing salad greens, a big garden, or a few pots on the deck? Go to the Atlas Farm Store and get organic starter plants. Get tomatoes, get basil and other herbs. Get cucumbers, kale, eggplant, and melons. It's so easy to grow with organic plants and seeds from the Atlas Farm Store. Add color, too, with flowers and hanging baskets. Plant ahead, plant ahead, and grow all summer with the Atlas Farm Store in South Deerfield. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Caminito Steakhouse in downtown Northampton? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Caminito Steakhouse in downtown Northampton is all about its steak and a whole lot more. An eclectic menu, a great bar area, and a superior wine list make Caminito Steakhouse a great place for a special night out. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Dan Torres, let me ask you. We have Ricky Kozowski, Rabbi Ricky Kozowski. This is our Have Faith segment. Can Ricky get some walk-up music? No? It's terrific walk-up music. Rabbi Ricky Kozowski from Beta Hava in Florence. We re- really appreciate your being with us. This is our Have Faith segment. Every Thursday, we have a religious leader from our community with us. And I would like to ask you about something I was poking around on the list of Jewish holidays. And I think that some listeners would have some interest in knowing about the Jewish holidays that are not happening uh, it's not Rosh Hashanah, it's not Yom Kippur, it's not Passover. There are other Jewish holidays, and, well, Absolutely. <laughs> tell us there are some that are, well, spring holidays, <clears throat> one of which we've just celebrated. So tell us about those, if you would, please. 
Fabulous. Thank you for asking it. I loved it. I loved the, I loved the music there. That was great. Um, so yeah, it's funny. Cause I mean, it's like, I feel like we talk about all the fun stuff a lot more as faith leaders and we don't actually talk about what we believe. So that was good to be reminded that was, that's sort of at the core, but, um, but yeah, so we're in this springtime period. Uh, we in Judaism, we tend to focus on Passover, uh, which happened 35 days ago. And, um, Shavuot, which is the next holiday that comes at the end of the May, where uh, the going up to Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments and receiving the Torah. But actually, as you just mentioned, we have all this whole spring period after Passover, before Shavuot, where we're counting off these seven weeks. So that's actually, it's not really a holiday. It's just kind of like a name of a period of time that we have in Judaism called counting the Omer. Um, and we actually say a blessing and count every single day for seven days. And um, in the biblical world, that was the time of the bar counting up for the barley harvest. So it was a very agricultural time. So that's what we were counting. And seven weeks, of course, times seven days is 49, which is kind of a mystical, cool number. So we have these 49 days um, we're counting. But we just celebrated this very cool holiday on the 33rd day of this period of time called Lag Omer which is fun to say log, but Omer, and you actually make campfires. So when I was younger, I thought the log stood for the logs in the campfire, but actually log just means 33. So that's kind of a little fun fact. Um, but it's a holiday that we just had uh, on, on Tuesday of this week. And Do you want me to say <clears> a word <throat> or so about that fun holiday? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fun facts. Maybe we should rename the segment Fun Facts with Rabbi Ricky Kazowski. <laughs> okay. Exactly. No, so it's actually this quite interesting holiday. I mean, there's a tradition of bonfires. There's a tradition um, to have weddings and haircuts. So if, if you were wondering why a lot of Jewish people were getting haircuts a couple days ago, that was the reason, or having weddings. Um, and it commemorates some different things, but actually some of them are quite se quite serious. So... Um, uh, one uh, is it commemorates when there was a siege on Jerusalem. And um, uh, so that was one period of time uh, when I guess the siege was lifted. And um, uh, there's often calamities that happen to the Jewish people on the same dates throughout history. It just sort of happens that way. So it often commemorates many different things. So there was um, a revolt. Uh, back in the time of um, Rabbi Akiva and his disciples, and there was a Bar Kokhba revolt, um, and that's part of part of what's commemorated as are the things associated with that time on this holiday. Um, so, and there's a lot of really difficult stuff going on right now in the world with Jews and um, between Israelis and Palestinians right now with what's going on in uh, Israel and the bombing between Israel and Gaza. Um, so it, it feels actually more relevant this holiday than, uh, than, than on, you know, irrelevant, even though it's a lesser known holiday. It's quite celebrated actually in the Jewish world, but. Is, is it a, is it a big deal in, in, in Israel? Well, I think it's in Israel, I think it's a much bigger deal in part because you have a large population of secular, secular Israeli Jews, and then it becomes a holiday that's associated with picnics and bonfires and um, they do archery and games. And so there's a lot of like outdoor hiking that happens on Lagba Omer. And then in, a, in religious circles in Israel, I think there is a more um, spiritual element of, again, bonfires and picnics, but sort of mass gatherings. People go up north, there's a mountain called Moron. They go to Mount Moron and they have these huge bonfire gatherings of mostly religious Jews that will 
uh, go there, Hasidic Jews, um, they bring their three-year-olds to have their first haircut, and um, there's a lot of singing and dancing, sort of maybe more like ecstatic celebration that happens. But um, yeah, here in Northampton, there were some bonfires. There were a lot of s'mores and marshmallows being uh, uh, roasted on campfires this week. And um, uh, sort of, I like to think about the holiday of, for me, the fire is very, uh, is, is the most um, interesting aspect of it. And um, and we get to have s'mores them. instead of matzah. <laughs> and you get those exactly. I actually exactly. like. Ma- I actually, I actually eat matzah yeah. for a long time after Passover because I, I don't know how. To, I should, guess I should confess. I actually like matzah. Um, it, I, uh, oh. Um, oh. I suppose that if you were forty years in the desert with no bread, I would notice. But I do like matzah. Yeah. Listen, Rabbi Ricky yeah. Kozowski, I wanted to ask you this because before I came to the studio this morning, I was filling up a uh, shopping bag. For mm-hmm. my postal delivery person, who will be participating, nice. I know in the post office food drive, which is this Saturday, May thirteenth, and I mm-hmm. received received this bag and said, you know, please fill it with uh, non perishable items. And the post office has been doing this food drive for quite a few years now, and is the post office food drive that's back first time since twenty nineteen. Uh, happening again this Saturday, May 13th. And the National Association of Letter Carriers organizes this event around the country. And the Northampton Survival Center will be the recipient of the food collected in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. And we note that in previous years, the center, the Northampton Survival Center, has received as much as 20,000 of food or more from this day. Thanks so much to the letter carriers and the National Association of Letter Carriers and our local letter carriers for doing this important work. When I was filling up the bag, I was wondering if you, Rabbi Kozowski, would be kind enough to share with us what the biblical injunctions are with regard Mm, to mm -hmm. feeding others and fighting food insecurity. Help us out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, I think it's a brilliant program, and I'm just grateful that it's back on this year. And um, actually, I was walking uh, in my neighborhood just a couple of days ago, and the students from Lander Grinspoon Academy, the Jewish Day School uh, in Northampton, each class had uh, went for a walk, delivering those bags. Through, they separated out throughout the neighborhood, so I saw them as they were walking back, delivering bags to all the households, and I thought that was really great. Um, so there, there's many things. Uh, in in the Bible, in the Torah, uh, about um, caring for the poor and feeding the hungry. There's many different injunctions. Um, in Leviticus, uh, in Leviticus 19, it says that when you when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap all the way to the edges of your field, and uh, you leave the corners for the poor or for the needy to actually come and harvest themselves, and uh, also to pick up the 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 things that fell, the gleanings. Um, and that's sort of an injunction, I think, to one, remind us as we're farming and planting that constantly that like what belongs to us and what is our responsibility towards others and also empower uh, others to be able to have that experience of, of um, gathering food themselves, not just taking uh, a handout kind of experience. But then we also have um, plenty of other places in Deuteronomy. It talks about how we have to pro- we have to provide food for food and clothing uh, for um, those who are new to your land, those who are parentless, the widows, children, anyone in need. Um, 
there's many places where that's really our um, sort of spiritual uh, mandate as well as our practical mandate. And um, I like the, there's, I'm trying to think of where it is. I believe it's in Deuteronomy where it also says you should open up your hands and uh and provide for those who are in need with whatever they need and also to not harden your heart and to shut your hand against those who are needy and i think um that's sort of the key too it's a it's a connection between our hands and also our heart like keeping this in our mindset always um working on the the bigger level like how do we stamp out hunger um in the big picture but also how do we care for those who are in need immediately, especially those in our midst? Interesting to me, we have 30 seconds left, that the, the Bible has not only this obviously overarching spiritual lessons, but has very practical mm-hmm. advice. Do this to make your world better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about uh, practical and radical solutions, as well as thinking of the big picture. But I but I will say that I, I do connect it to this holiday of Lagba Omer that we just had, because we have... All, all of our spiritual practices are about making the world a better place. And, and you know, what do we want to ignite in the new, uh, in this new spring? Like, what are the problems that we want to solve? And how do we find that energy, energy to re-energize ourselves collectively to solving these problems and to caring for those who are in need and to empowering them as well? Rabbi Ricky, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with the uh, with the rabbi from Beta Hava, Rabbi Ricky Kozowski. This has been Have Faith. Thank you, Rabbi. Really Talk appreciate your time. And politics for all the world to hear. They ought to send you back to Russia, boy, or New York City one. You just want to doodle a Christian girl and your. Here comes the money. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 8.15, 12.15, and 4.15. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on whmp.com. Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned by providing free legal help. Contact the New England Pension Assistance Project at 888-425-6067 or visit them online at pensionhelp.org slash New England. A public service from the U.S. Administration on Aging's Pension Counseling and Information Program. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. Come. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. They're bracing at the southern border with tens of thousands of asylum seekers lined up, hoping to cross into the U.S. when a Trump-era COVID policy expires at midnight. Andrea Rudnick is handing out food in Brownsville, Texas. These people's lives have been in danger. They've been under political oppression. They are not dangerous people. They have been in danger. More from reporter Chris Fox. El Paso Mayor Oscar Leeser toured migrant shelters in Juarez 
as Mexico to get a better idea of what may happen once Title 42 ends. There was a lot less people this week than there was last week. I, I did get numbers will be somewhere between five to maybe 10,000 that are prepared to come. Federal dollars have allowed El Paso to retrofit two closed middle schools as shelters for asylum seekers. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's also deployed over 400 specially trained National Guard soldiers to El Paso and a few hundred more to the Rio Grande Valley. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen weighed in on the nation's finances at a G7 meeting in Japan today. The notion of defaulting on our debt is something that would so badly undermine the U.S. and global economy that I think it should be regarded by everyone as unthinkable. Republican leaders have been thumbing their noses at Democrats' request to raise the debt ceiling. Yellen's predicted the government will run out of money June 1st if they don't. Now to Ukraine's much-talked-about spring offensive against Russia. President Vladimir Zelensky tells the BBC... We can advance with what we've got, and I think we can be successful, but we will lose a lot of people. I think that is unacceptable. We need to wait. We need a bit more time. The head of Russia's Wagner private military group accuses Zelensky of being dishonest. New research shows tens of millions of people were forced to move within their countries last year because of war and natural disasters. CBS's Wendy Gillette. The war in Ukraine brought the number of those internally displaced in 2022 to a record level, over 71 million people. The study from the Norwegian Refugee Council only counts those forced to move within their countries, not those who fled to other nations. Weekly sign-ups for jobless claims in the U.S. are up to their highest level in four months. Bank rates Mark Hamrick. New unemployment claims suggest the labor market is softening, catching up with the layoffs of recent months. New data from the conference board shows job satisfaction has hit a 36-year high. The happiest bunch? People who switched jobs or switched to hybrid during the pandemic and never returned to the office full-time. Dow's down 379. This is CBS News. Need to hire quality candidates fast? You need Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. I'm Howard Mackler, founder of Innovation Refunds. You've heard me talking about the payroll tax refund for months. If you own a business, even if you've asked your CPA about this, you owe it to yourself to take another look. We provide a licensed and insured tax attorney who evaluates your company at my expense to determine eligibility. Businesses of all types can qualify, so go to GetRefunds.com to potentially get a payroll tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. Download the Innovation Refunds app or go to GetRefunds.com, GetRefunds.com. A lot of new enrollments, huh? Braylon, Braden. Monique's daycare is crawling with new arrivals. Hey, sweetie, are you hungry? She needs more early childhood educators. Did your socks slip off again? And a nap. Hey there, little guy. Okay. Whoa. Indeed can help her hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. We instantly connect you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. A missing hiker has been found alive in some rough conditions. In some spots, the... For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Donna Woodcock, former Greenfield High School principal and athletic director, has died following the car accident that occurred Friday night on Route 2 in Shelburne. On Monday, Karen Woodcock and the Northwestern DA's office said Donna remained alive as of that day, despite erroneous reports circulating online. Woodcock served as Greenfield High School's principal from 2008 to 2016 and also served as the athletic director and coach.
Massachusetts Public Health Emergency Order ends today. Massachusetts health care providers, patients, and visitors are no longer required to wear masks, and state officials will instead focus resources on prevention and virus management. Department of Public Health Commissioner Dr. Robert Goldstein says while the pandemic is not over, the Bay State can be considered, quote, a better place. Goldstein noted that statewide transmission and community levels are down across the Commonwealth, and some hospitals are reporting no COVID-19 cases for the first time since the start of the pandemic. The Massachusetts Executive Department will also end its obligation today for employees to be vaccinated per an executive order from Governor Maura Healey. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. Counselors at Amherst Regional Middle School are facing accusations of anti-LGBTQ actions in a student-written article published this week. The article, printed in the graphic, makes allegations by students and families against counselors Hector Santos, his daughter Tanya Cabrera, and Delinda Dykes. According to the Gazette, the article provides numerous specific incidents. Superintendent Michael Morris says a Title IX investigation is underway. Sunshine this morning, then clouds roll in this afternoon. There's the slight chance of a shower after 3 o'clock, a high of 76 to 80. Variable clouds tonight, also the chance for an overnight shower or sprinkles, a low of 46 to 52. Sun cloud mix here tomorrow, a high of 80 to 84. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And this is a good time for our weekly segment, Science and Sensibility, with Brian Adams. Who do we have on as a special guest today, Brian? Special guests we have... Um, but first, a little segue. Oh, oh, oh drum the, roll. Drum roll. Uh, it is spring, and what a week it has been. Huh? These last few days, oh my goodness, what a great time to be in New England. A lot of folks out there getting their hands in the dirt, moving earth, clearing brush, getting their garden on. Uh, and what I find so interesting is that we're not the only ones who move earth in terms of animals. You think of people as manipulating the landscape. Well, today we're going to talk about that other major non-human manipulator of the landscape, that awesome engineer, that truly remarkable animal, which is the beaver. And joining us today to talk about beavers is uh, Hilltown Land Trust naturalist, Drew Johnson. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, all right, we'll start off with joke. Um, <laughs> Drew, what did the beaver say when it bonked its head on wood? I haven't the faintest idea. Damn! <laughs> oh, oh, everyone wow. should have seen that one. Well, that uh, was Brian of... Adams. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And now I'm off the show. Uh, no, 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 no. You're still on the show. It's just the time of the show where we remind everyone that this comes to you for free. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No, there was uh, a price to be paid for that. All right. One. Enough of trashing Brian. On, uh, so let's talk about dams. Because when we think about beavers, we think about dams. Um, why do beavers build dams? There are a couple of reasons, and even the kind of the forming the question is kind of tricky, right? Because we get to wind up talking about intent and are, is this, does this look like agriculture? It certainly does. They, they build the dams essentially in some ways to create habitats for themselves. Um, we think so much about beavers eating the cambium layer of, of, of under bark of trees and branches that we don't think about the fact that what beaver really want to do is spend all spring and summer eating soft plants, eating water plants. And so when they flood an area and take a stream and turn it into a pond and, you know, the, the trees that are there are, are eventually sort of die or they bring them down, 
Um, they're creating these water plant habitats, and they spend all spring and summer and even f- into fall gorging on them and building body mass that is a big part of how they make it across the winter, as well as the more famous kind of wood caches and bark caches. Um, yeah, so that's that's one of the big kind of uh, reasons. So they build dams to create this habitat ideal for themselves in there. Yes, they 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 create a habitat. It's also a safe um, it's a safe space for them. They are very vulnerable on land. Their predation and you know the, that happens to them mostly happens when they leave their ponds. In the pond, they're they're very very safe. The lodges, the famous lodges that we see out our car windows or while we're hiking, um, they only have underwater entrances. You cannot get into or out of them above water. So for the uh, unless you're an otter, uh, you know there's no way there's no way in. How do they know where to site a dam? Where to build a dam? I think that there is. It's a little hard to look at what beaver do sometimes and say, aha, this makes sense. Sometimes you do, and it's, you know, ah, clearly I'm seeing this This makes sense from this point of view. And this, and sometimes you see things they do, this tree is girdled, and you wonder why, why did they go to the effort? Uh, or, you know, they put a dam here, and it seems like how could that possibly, the cost-benefit of that makes sense. Um, but a lot of it is simply territory. Um, beaver are... Uh, Historically, they, they would have been, you know, trying to crowd each other out. There's a lot of uh, kind of, you know, seeking a suitable habitat. Uh, what they're really looking for, though, I think the, the, to, to directly answer your question, is um, the kinds of trees uh, that they most value. Um, different kinds of, 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 of willow, uh, birch, I should have said aspen up front, uh, which is their 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 best and most favorite. Um, but they they really have a hierarchy of of uh, foliage and, and 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 trees that they most value. So I suspect that's probably the biggest driving factor. Obviously, they have to have the water to do it. But um, but they wouldn't. But you you don't see them in among like evergreens, for example. That's not a that's always their least favorite. So it's interesting that that. Uh when we think of beavers, we think of, you know, incredible tree fellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are rodents mm-hmm. in the order Rodentia, uh, and they have these incredible incisors, right? Okay. And they can bring down these huge trees in a matter of hours. Yeah. Uh, so a tree comes down, boom, and what do they do with the tree? Well, it really depends. Sometimes they're felling trees to create that open space. Sometimes they're girdling trees, by which I mean they, 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 they remove all of the, the bark and living tissue around an existing tree, which causes, of course, the tree to die. Uh, some of you probably have seen that happen or had that happen on your property, um, but it, uh, which has the same effect. So a, new, a relatively new beaver pond might have lots of dead trees standing in it, a long existing pond, those trees over time are, are blown down by natural wind action. But but sometimes, of course, they do actually bring them all the way physically down. It can be, it can be um, because they are stripping off all the branches, you know, har- harvesting. It can be um, because they have some design on on a relatively small tree to create a, you know, bring, make it part of the dam. Um, though, of course, the dams are mostly built out of. Uh, smaller branches and, and smaller trees um, 
the, the kind of ideal beaver size is almost something that you can put both of your hands around. That's, that's their most manageable size. But obviously, it's, it's, it's really exciting when they bring down the big, bigger trees. Drew Johnson, I, I just want to circle back to where you were okay, a moment sure. ago. We were talking about they, they prefer aspen, they like birch, they mm-hmm. like uh, willows, which are out, around here follow water. But they, don't, they like deciduous trees. They don't like evergreens, which are softer. You would think it would be easier for them to do their thing with softer woods. I don't, and I would love to be able to tell you exactly why that is. Um, I think that the, I think there's a, a taste factor, though. Of course, then you get into chicken and egg questions. Why do they like the the um, beaver are uh, you know doing a very hard thing when they're you know they're they're processing the cambium layer of trees. It's it's the, all that cellulose. They actually have a kind of cohabitating microorganism in their stomach that helps them digest the cellulose, and they actually have to eat it again. Um, they, they're uh, and I'm going to blank on the term here, but they eat their own pellets to get another pass at the the nutrition. Like rabbits. Yeah, and there are a number of mammals that do this. Um, and of course, rodents. Who yeah, do this. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, are they all rodents? I'm not sure. Well, rabbits are not rodents. Are they not? I thought no, they were. No, I think they're in a separate kind of thing, right? I believe yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, another, um, another wrong idea. <laughs> close, close though. But so, and, and of course, all of this is, is, is a kind of hardship adaptation, right? The, um, in the southern reaches of, of beaver habitat, right, where they start to bump up against alligators and s- stop spreading south, they don't spend nearly as much time eating this. They, 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 they really kind of emphasize the soft plants. They don't have to worry about being iced in, about that kind of winter hardship. It's, 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 it's a... But the the hierarchy of the trees that they prefer, though, is also, um, for example, they they will eat red oak, but um, Mary Holland, one of the the people that I was cramming, studying again this morning, trying to remind myself of all the beaver knowledge, talks about how much longer it takes them to digest red oak, which paradoxically they get less out of it. So the faster they're digesting their... um, all the, all this material, the more they get out of it, the more they can be eating. The, it's, it's kind of the, the, the efficiency of it. Red oak takes much longer than the other species I've mentioned. So even, you know. Could we go back for just one second to the pellets? They eat their own pellets. I would like you to say another word that you can that will be, be fine to say on air. I'd like to hear more about that. And then I'd like you to go back for a minute, if you would, and tell us a bit more about them gouging themselves spring, summer, and fall. And tell us where do they winter? Do they go to? Well, they just told us they can't go to Florida because of the alligators. <laughs> but where do alligators. they? Where do they go in the winter? Well, I, I'm going to take your second question first. Um, the the beaver lodges are these remarkable uh, constructions. I I, I used to uh, do beaver talks with a guy who'd actually crawled up into uh, uh, a deserted beaver lodge. I think he hoped it was deserted, and it turned out to be. Um, and it was kind of he could get his shoulders in, and they are these. Massive constructions, you know, when, when, a beaver, when a beaver dam blows out and you can sort of see them completely uncovered from water, they, 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 they're really almost uh, always astonishing by their size. Talking about the lodges. Sorry, yes, the lodges. And um, sometimes they're sort of near the dam, sometimes they're freestanding. My wife and I live on a pond and there are several lodges and some are against the shore and some are kind of out in the water. But they, um, they have platforms inside and there's a sleeping platform and an eating platform and usually at least two exits. Um, they also sort of ventilate to the outside. And the, the, when beaver overwinter, what they're doing is they're storing a whole bunch of branches, suitable branches, 
uh, outside that they will swim, they will take the ends of the trees and jam them into the mud underwater. So what we see usually at the top is the leafy little edges. You, some, it sometimes looks like a haze on the water near a lodge. Uh, so that in the winter, when the ice has closed them in, they simply go out, they bring in a part of, uh, of a branch or two, part of a branch, then they, um, they discard it. Um, one of the ways that you know you're on an active beaver pond is after the ice goes, if you start to see a lot of detritus, a lot of spent, uh, uh, chewed branches drifting up against the shore that were trapped by the ice. Drew Johnson, one of my favorite things to do is Brian Adams comes armed with all these notes, and I'd love to interrupt him. And, <laughs> but I, I, I'll only ask one more question, I promise. Because I know that I've seen beaver, they have webbed feet. Mm -hmm. How long can they stay underwater? That's a, that's a great question. And I just want to say their back feet are webbed. Their, their front paws are not. They're very kind of, so they're, 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 they're one of those animals, if you look at any kind of point on them, the adaptation seems different. Um, but they, about 15 minutes is the answer. Wow. Um, yeah, there's- They a, must have huge lungs. There's a lot going on there. They have, uh, they have, they have big livers. They, 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 they do have all these uh, adaptations internally that allow them to get the most oxygen out of the air they breathe. They have, um, they have a lot of like little valves and things that we, you know, they can close their ears, they can close their nostrils. They have inner lips so that they can close their mouth and still use their teeth underwater. Um, and so, inner lips. There you go. I know. I know. Just they're 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 just such a um, they're such a strange animal to look at. Uh, kind of clearly, I, I always think that they, uh, if you see them sort of free floating, like I once saw a beaver on a, I was about 15 feet above it on a trail in Virginia, looking down into very clear water, and it was just swimming and didn't know I was there. And it, they honestly look like a piece of swimming luggage. They're not. They're not sort of like otters. They're not sort of these graceful sort of, you know snake-like things. They're, they're these big floating, you know, toolboxes. Big floating toolboxes. And they used to be bigger. We were looking yes. at research back in the Pleistocene, the Ice Age. Um, giant beavers, 250 pounds, <laughs> seven <laughs> feet long. Yeah, so that's really uh, pretty cool. Extirpated, uh, I'm sorry, extinct around, what, 15,000 years ago along with saber-toothed cats and right. woolly mammoths and mastodons and all these cool megafauna roaming through New England. We're going to take a break. Um, we're talking with Drew Johnson. Drew is a naturalist for the Hilltown Land Trust. He is leading a walk in Ashfield, which fortunately or unfortunately is all filled up on May 21st, but he's going to talk about another place or other places to go. When we come back, I'd like to ask Drew about sort of the history of beaver um, reintroduction and we're going to have not the science word of the day, but the science date of the day, <laughs> which is 1636, when William Pinchon sets up a trading post in Springfield, Mass. So um, stick with us, and we'll be on beavers coming back to New England.
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote. 586-1000. Are you or someone you care about struggling with mental health or substance use? The Behavioral Health Helpline is here for you. Call 833-773-2445 and we'll work with you to find the help you need. Free, open 24-7 and available in over 200 languages. No insurance needed. 833-773-2445. A service of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts operated by the Massachusetts Behavioral Health Partnership. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 4:15. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Uh, this is so interesting. We are with Drew Johnson, uh, Audubon Naturalist and the Hilltown Land Trust, and we are talking, we are learning about beavers. I see them from time to time where I live in the Hilltowns in Ashfield, and um, I'm, I'm just absorbing everything you say, Drew. Um, second largest rodent in the world, not Drew Johnson, our guest, but the, <laughs> but the beavers next to the capybara. I don't know quite how you say that, um, which is which is the largest rodent in the world. And here's a little interesting fact: when we talk about rodents, forty percent of all mammal species are rodents, which is really interesting. And rodents are like well, around here it's the squirrels and the chipmunks and the mice and the lots of lots of different kinds of mice, um, and about. A quarter of all mammal species are bats. <laughs> so isn't that interesting? You have two-thirds of species being either a rodent or a bat. And, well, uh, it's it's yeah. going back to our roots. I mean, we were, we were hanging out underground while the dinosaurs were, uh, you know. Doing their thing. Losing their way. Yeah. You know, running into meteorites. Um, right before break, we said we would get back to the science date of the day, which is 1636. Um, William Pinchon sets up a trading post in Springfield, Massachusetts, um, tell us, Drew, what happens after that? Uh, well, one of the things about beavers is they live year-round in the same place. They 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 mate for life. They uh, they 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 live in in a in a place until they've exhausted its resources. So that makes them incredibly easy to trap. Um, 
And that's what happens. Uh, in both Hartford and Springfield, part of their founding is tied up in the beaver fur trade. And it goes very, very, very quickly, quicker than I think most people realize. Um, in lower New England, beaver are trapped out almost completely by 1700. Wow. And the traps are, I mean, the, the beavers are used for what? The, the, well, the, their fur is this remarkable thing. They, they say that in a square inch of beaver pelt, uh, there's many follicles is on a full head of human hair. Uh, and and more than that, it's a double-layered thing. So they have these long, uh, uh, sort of more robust outer uh, follicles, and then the kind of the dense, uh, fine inner ones that are insulation. But the outer follicles, they cover with castorium, this uh, oil that they produce in sacks, uh, like I say, floating toolbox. Um, and then they groom themselves with it to waterproof it. But the, the, so between the castor, which you know is and actually in the, the French word for beaver is castor, which we just use for that that substance is a is a base uh, material for perfume, and the uh, or was, and the um, the fur was you know for a, a a Europe devoid of firewood at the time you know a, a wonderful thing to be able to wrap yourself in. Uh, to keep warm because it was warm or waterproof. Uh, well, the, uh, because it was incredibly warm. It's just such a it's such a dense fur. So it's yeah. so interesting that beavers are gone by the early seventeen hundreds, except for northern Maine. Then gone. You know, uh, every... uh, northern New England hangs on to a few until about eighteen hundred. But then you're talking, as as you say, the upper reaches of Maine. And we think of you know of New England as always being this wild place. And right. Early eighteen hundreds, it's devoid of trees, of deer, of right. pear, of turkey, of, of 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 beaver. Then something remarkable happens with the beavers. Tell us about that. Yes. Uh, so uh, out in uh, Lenox, Massachusetts, there's a, a wonderful Audubon sanctuary, Pleasant Valley, which uh, in uh, thirty two, I believe, nineteen thirty two. Nineteen thirty two. Excuse me. Uh, is the site of beaver reintroduction, uh, deliberate from beavers from the Adirondacks. If, if memory serves, and it may not, I believe the original couple's name was Paul and Paula, uh, after Paul Bunyan. And um, the they purpose-built a pond, which is still there, uh, and they've just actually quite recently gotten, after a microburst a few years ago, the, uh, the boardwalk there is back up and running. Uh, but there... Um, Excuse me. The, uh, the 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 beavers are reintroduced there, and they start spreading very rapidly. Um, in the hill towns, for example, my wife and I live on a beaver pond. Uh, my dad pulled the aerial photos. It's not a pond until the '30s. It's just a swamp, and that's a lot of ponds in New England would have been just boggy swamps uh, with a lot of trees closing them in. You know, not you know, suitable for all kinds of, of animals, which is one of the other things that beaver ponds do. You All these wading birds that you see, that without beavers, they would, it, it, you know, all kinds of waterfowl, uh, any number of fish um, that wouldn't, that the, the, the number of species drops way down when you're just, you know, talking about woodland streams and not beaver ponds. So not only are they creating habitat for themselves, but really valuable, ecologically rich habitat for a whole variety of critters. Absolutely. Which is, Absolutely. Which is really interesting. Um, we are running out of time, which is really unfortunate. Where can people go to see beavers in action? 
Well, you know, as, as a lot of people know, they're all over the place. The, the, you know, you can often just sort of drive around New England, and if you see dams and lodges sticking out of the, the water, there you are. But Pleasant Valley in Lenox is a great place to go. Um, I, I think that would probably be, a, you know, the, the best place locally. Uh, I, but I think Acadia has some visible beaver lodges, but it's been a minute since I've been there uh, but yeah, and Pleasant Valley is an Audubon sanctuary. It is absolutely, and it's not that far away. For our no, listeners. no, I know it's 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 a really short drive. Northampton, it's about an about an hour, really. What got you so interested in this topic? Um, it was sort of a, a combination of circumstances. We uh, moved into the, the house we live in in 2016, and so I started seeing them all the time. Um, but it really just, they're just such remarkable creatures. The adaptations, the combination of factories, the fact that they, they build things. They, no, no, no species uh, alters their environment sort of in a way that we recognize as construction, uh, you know, in, in, in the same way. They're, 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 they kind of occupy this strange niche. I also wanted to quickly mention um, I, a couple of books have been really helpful to me. Uh, ben Goldfarb's recent uh, Eager uh, Beavers and Why They Matter uh, is a wonderful book if you're curious about this. And also um, Mary Holland's Naturally Curious in either of the many versions, she's, a couple of versions she's done, uh, have so much about that and kind of fit the the uh, the species into their larger context, which is where I think they're most interesting. And uh, Bill Newman, you can grab that book and read more about why beavers eat their own pellets. <laughs> I uh, was just I... looking under the peas in the index to see <laughs> exactly. if we could go back well, to it's that. Another, it's another pass at, the, at all the nutrition that's tied up in there. The um, you know the beavers, like I think most mammals uh, that don't hold me to this, lack the enzymes to to process cellulose, and so it's it's not an easy process. But it's how they get through the winter. Um, the pellets wind up floating in um, beaver ponds, but you should stay away from them because they can contain, I believe, bacteria that are that are beaver harmful. fever. Yes, right. beaver fever. Yeah. Drew Johnson, I, I just want to ask you in the couple of minutes we have sure. left. Who are the na- what are the natural predators for beavers around here? The big one. Humans. Ki- <laughs> well, we, we, the, well, so the. Coyotes is the short answer. Um, coyotes, be- beaver, and deer um, are their, their kind of, I think, the two big, biggest pieces of the pie for them. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why when you're around a beaver pond, you see they c- construct these little pathways and alleyways so that they're out, you know, harvesting branches and things, and they say, oh, wait, what, what's that? They'll run back into the water. We've, some of us have heard beavers slap with their tail on the water. That's an alarm, uh, theoretically, as well as a kind of an aggressive action, but it's letting everyone else uh, on the pond know uh, that, that something is amiss. Um, just if I have time, the, the, the kind of the cycle in the, those lodges, um, they are the, the, the family unit, which right now we're kind of in the, the kits are coming out and being, being seen. You have the... Kits the, are the beaver young. Yes, the, the young beavers. Um, the, um, the, the, the paired adults, monogamous, they mate for life. Um, the one-year-olds and then the kits. The two-year-olds... Uh, get kind of kicked out right about this time. And that's actually, speaking of the predation, uh, it's not predation, but at the highest mortality time is when they're the, the, the young, the, the two-year-olds, the, the old enough to start their own pond, but they have to go find it. And they're out there walking around. Those are the ones you see on the side of the road. We, th- we think about denesting. This is de-hutting? Exactly. Oh, de-lodging, yeah. De-lodging. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time. We've been talking with Drew Johnson about beavers, the major 
non-human manipulators of the landscape. Drew is leading a, rock, a walk for the Hilltown Land Trust on May the 21st up in Ashfield um, near Chapel Falls, right, I believe? It's uh, Ludwig uh, uh, Road. It's sort uh-huh. of a, it's kind of a... It's beautiful up there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great it's place a whole, to, uh, to look uh, for beavers. That walk is filled up, um, but anyway, folks can support the Hilltown Land Trust. Feel free to do that. Drew, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Drew, it was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back. It is time for Take 5 with Ruth Griggs and a very special guest. We'll be right back. Drew, what's, what's your... Down by the sea On a blanket with my baby This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Donna Woodcock, former Greenfield High School principal and athletic director, has died following the car accident that occurred Friday night on Route 2 in Shelburne. On Monday, Karen Woodcock and the Northwestern DA's office said Donna remained alive as of that day, despite erroneous reports circulating online. Woodcock served as Greenfield High School's principal from 2008 to 2016 and also served as the athletic director and coach. Massachusetts Public Health Emergency Order ends today. Massachusetts health care providers, patients, and visitors are no longer required to wear masks, and state officials will instead focus resources on prevention and virus management. Department of Public Health Commissioner Dr. Robert Goldstein says while the pandemic is not over, the Bay State can be considered, quote, a better place. Goldstein noted that statewide transmission and community levels are down across the Commonwealth, and some hospitals are reporting no COVID-19 cases for the first time since the start of the pandemic. The Massachusetts Executive Department will also end its obligation today for employees to be vaccinated, per an executive order from Governor Maura Healey. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. Counselors at Amherst Regional Middle School are facing accusations of anti-LGTBQ actions in a student-written article published this week. The article, printed in the graphic, makes allegations by students and families against counselors Hector Santos, his daughter Tanya Cabrera, and Delinda Dykes. According to the Gazette, the article provides numerous specific incidents. Superintendent Michael Morris says a Title IX investigation is underway. Sunshine this morning, then clouds roll in this afternoon. There's the slight chance of a shower after 3 o'clock, a high of 76 to 80. Variable clouds tonight, also the chance for an overnight shower or sprinkles, a low of 46 to 52. Sun cloud mix here tomorrow, a high of 80 to 84. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. At Greenfield Cooperative Bank, it pays to get pre-approved. If you're looking to buy a home, 
Right now is the perfect time to save up to $1,250 on your mortgage closing costs. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to walk you through the process so you can get in your new home as quickly and as easily as possible. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by September 30th be a new first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender member FDIC member DIA. You can count on your friends at the Chairs to cherish. Textiles to treasure. Glass for gazing. Millworks, the makers and art market at the mill at Shelburne Falls. One of a kind things made with skill and a lot of heart. Ceramics with form and function. Art to adorn you and your home. Millworks welcomes you to Spring in the Falls weekend with gallery openings, music, art, and activities. Spring in the Falls weekend at Millworks, the makers and art market, and all around the village of Shelburne Falls. This Friday, 5 to 8, and Saturday, 10 to 4. The Extraordinary Music, Take 5 with Dave Rubeck, leads us to our weekly segment of Take 5 and our really special correspondent and, and guest host every other week, Glenn Siegel, and you always bring us such talented and interesting people. Who do you have for us today? Well, we live in the Valley, and we have a cornucopia of great musicians and artists, and no exception today. Uh, our guest is musician, composer, and filmmaker Jake McGinsky, who is co-director of the MFA program in dance at Smith College. In 2018, he directed and produced the award-winning feature film Milford Graves, Full Mantis. The New York Times called the film a stunning documentary and has won multiple awards internationally. In 2018, the film was featured at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture's inaugural film festival in Washington, D.C., and the film is now streaming worldwide. Hello. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Yeah, Jake, it's really uh, great to, to have you here. And I wanted to start off by talking about Milford Graves, who's a one-of-a-kind American, a genuine polymath, a great percussionist, herbalist, heart researcher, martial arts expert. Uh, give us some idea who Milford Graves was, and then tell us the story of how you came to know Milford. All right, yeah, I could approach this in a couple ways. You're definitely part of this story. Um, so I'll just start with my own story. I think that's the, mo you know, the one I can speak about um, with the most passion. My otherwise boring personality comes more alive <laughs> when I get to talk about, about Milford. I call him Prof. And um, I was born and raised in Springfield and uh, grew up listening to MUA, um, playing music, going to record shops, played in jazz band at Springfield Central High, and um, started learning how to um, play by listening to records. So I would, you know, I was taught to kind of set up two speakers behind my ears and, and buy records and play what along. It, what instrument? Drums. 
and um you know started buying Coltrane records and um you know Ornette Coleman records and listening to Ed Blackwell and just listening to all the great drummers, listening to Miles Davis, listening to Tony Williams. And eventually, you know, you go and you seem interested in drums enough at the right record shops, which we have up here. And someone t tells you about Milford Graves. And it's like, you gotta, gotta listen to Milford Graves. It's unlike anything else, but there's not that many records around. They're very expensive. Um, but uh, got a burn CD of Percussion Ensemble, which is an ESP record. Um, mid-60s, and it was the first improvised um, music I've, I'd ever heard with all drumming. And um, setting up the speakers and, and playing, um, it was impossible to try to like learn licks, which is what I was doing up until that, that point, trying to figure out how drummers put their thing together. Um, as Milford would say, dang, dang, a dang, dang, a dang, and take it from there. But this music was, was so complex and uh, textured and asymmetrical and unpredictable that there wasn't, it wasn't possible to figure it out. But what it did awaken in me was um, like the desire to play along with it and improvise with my own voice, um, which was, I think, an, uh, an awakening that's still kind of playing out. Um, so I became a fan, essentially, of Milford Graves, who, who um, is credited with uh, taking the drum set from the back of the stage and pushing it up to the front and um, uh, basically liberating the drums inside the jazz context from timekeeping, only thinking of it as a melodic instrument that um, can solo in a melodic way. And um, so I was a fan. I was I was listening to records, and then I was also a regular attendant um, of the Magic Triangle and the Solo Duo series. And um, you know, my dad, who's a musician, he plays for the Springfield Symphony. Joel McGinsky, he would take me up early. I mean, I I saw Ed Blackwell play. I don't know what year that was, maybe '91 or yes, um, some somewhere around there. And just had some formative experiences up at UMass. Uh, so when uh, the solos duos series happened with Milford playing. I had to be there. All, me and all my friends went, and um, it so far exceeded or expanded any um, ideas I had about what it would be like to be in the room uh, with him. Um, that I was just, you know, again opened opened up in a new way. So it really put forth a vision of music that wasn't entertainment, that um, had the power to transmit, transfer and transmit energy. Um, so, you know, one thing I remember about that concert was uh, when the lights came on, everyone around me, faces were flushed, people were talking about how their, their blood pressure felt different or their heartbeats had changed. And um, at that point, I decided to go study with Milford. And uh, I went to Bennington. I didn't enroll as a student. I just waited at his door till he showed up and kind of presented myself as a potential mentee. And luckily, he he took me on. I became his assistant. And you, you were essentially a drop in as opposed to a drop out. <laughs> exactly. I dropped in. I was in part of a rich Bennington tradition of people who just showed up on campus and um, 
kind of for better or for worse stayed there. Yeah. And your your documentary, Jake, which is is called uh, uh, Milford. It's full mantis, M-A-N-T-I-S, yeah. like praying. Like praying, yeah. Got Milford it. Graves' full mantis, which is a reference to an invented uh, martial art called Yara that Milford invented in the mid-60s. He was a Golden Gloves boxer and kind of organically um, started training lots of people in his neighborhood in the mid-60s when there was lots of different martial practices going on in the outer boroughs in New York City. And um, basically his, his, his concept was... Um, Folks were going down to Chinatown, and they were getting turned away for, for various reasons, in, including um, anti-blackness and racism um, from different kinds of, of, of martial arts. So in Kung Fu, he had a bunch of friends go down and try to get into a mantis practice in, in Chinatown. They got turned away, so he said that he was just going to buy mantis eggs from this um, catalog of biology that he had. And they hatched the mantis eggs, and they worked on the mantis style directly from the mantis. So his idea was to, if there's a middle person trying to kind of gatekeep, um, that you can always go straight to nature. You can always trust in your own senses. The full mantis. So, so that's the full mm-hmm. mantis, and that was that's a direct quote from Milford. Yeah, yeah, and that's a beautiful scene in the film uh, where he's uh, in his backyard in Jamaica Queens and uh, talking about that whole whole history of doing it himself. Um, one of the other things that is so fascinating about Milford, besides his great work as a percussionist, is um, his work studying the heart. Can you talk a little bit about that and how he incorporated that into his music? Yeah, so what, what Milford said in the film and what he would say always is, no one comes to my house without having their heartbeat recorded. Um, in the mid-60s, he was working as a laboratory uh, assistant for a, a high-volume veterinarian who actually works here now, Dr. Katz. He works in Amherst. I think he's in, in his mid-90s or even higher, but he's still practicing. And uh, got really comfortable with lab work, with blood work, and with medical equipment generally. And at the, uh, at the same time, uh, he and his colleagues and friends were um, studying with various folkloric um, percussion teachers in the city, not only um, folkloric music from the African diaspora, but also tabla and um, Hindustani and Karnak uh, music. So um, he was encountering some of the same stuff as with martial arts, where you would get led into a certain level, um, but often there was kind of a, a ceiling to what you could pick up as far as knowledge. And um, in the full mantis uh, tradition, he... He basically um, started listening to the to his heart. He got a stethoscope and and realized quickly that a lot of the folkloric rhythms were present in the heartbeat. And um, so, from 1966 onwards, he was recording with analog equipment um, and keeping a catalog of the heart in all sorts of conditions. So, a healthy heartbeat, a heartbeat that was, um, you know had to do with someone who was experiencing cardiovascular disease um, and was not only listening to this sound for inspiration and abstracting rhythmic um, motives from the heartbeat, but also starting to develop in his healing practice. He's also a self-trained acupuncturist. Uh, We are here with Glenn Siegel's guest, uh, 
Jake Majinski, who uh, has created this documentary film, which uh, I want to ask you, how do, how do we get our hands on Milford Graves' Full Mantis? Uh, tell people about that before we take a break. So the film is still um, screening in various places around the world, and it's streaming on the Criterion channel, uh, where it will be streaming for the foreseeable future. So if you look up Milford Full, Graves' Full Mantis on Criterion, you can find it there. And if you have a library card, you can also find it on Canopy. Oh, that is great. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back with Glenn is talking with Smith's College. Uh, he's a musician. He's a filmmaker. He's a multi-talented fellow. Jake Majinski will be right back after these messages. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Caminito Steakhouse in downtown Northampton? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Caminito Steakhouse in downtown Northampton is all about its steak and a whole lot more. An eclectic menu, a great bar area, and a superior wine list make Caminito Steakhouse a great place for a special night out. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Hi, this is Kevin DeRosa, Vice President of Retail Operations at Greenfield Savings Bank. Did you know that one of the easiest ways for thieves to steal your identity is from information found on discarded documents? Things that contain personal or account information. This includes bank statements, credit card statements, financial records, utility bills, really anything with personal information on it. That's why Greenfield Savings Bank is holding a free shred fest on Saturday, May 20th from 9 to noon at our Northampton branch at 325 King Street. Our free document shredding event is open to the public and you can bring up to three shopping bags of your unneeded documents. We'll even shred them while you watch. So come to Greenfield Savings Bank Shred Fest and help stop identity theft. Protect yourself from identity theft. Come to the Greenfield Savings Bank free document shred fest on Saturday, May 20th from 9 to noon at our Northampton branch at 325 King Street. Member FDIC, member DIF. Greenfieldsavings.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. On our way back in, I just want to thank River Valley Co-op for being a sponsor of the show. Buzz, back to you. I love River Valley Co-op. and Actually, uh, we'll be shopping there today. Glenn Siegel, you've got a great guest today. Yeah, Jake McGinsky is our guest, and uh, we can talk all day about Milford Graves. He's such a complex character, and uh, we could also talk about the film all day because it's such a wonderful documentary and really very different than most uh, 
biographies that I've seen around jazz or any subject. So one more time. That is Milford Graves, Full Full Mantis, Mantis, as in Praying. Yes, and that could be found on Criterion uh, streaming there. Uh, But let's turn our attention to uh, Jake as a a composer, percussionist, electronic musician. Tell us about your current doings in the music world. Uh, Well, I think as was mentioned, I work at Smith College as a musician in dance and co-director of the grad program. Smith has a graduate program in dance. So a lot of artists come from various cities and um, after having a career as performer or choreographer, start to do their um, their master's work at Smith. So I work very closely with, with grad students who are making new work. And then I also play for dance classes, which was... Um, a job I never knew existed actually till I got to Bennington, and once I started working with Milford, I had to figure out a way to stay there and, um, you know, make make money. And looked in a dance studio and saw a dancer standing still next to a scrim and someone playing a doombeck next to them, and I was like, "How did this That's happen?" That's a drum. Right? Yeah, doombeck, Turkish drum, um, Middle Eastern drum. So that job immediately uh, was attractive to me because I loved dance even though I didn't know much about contemporary dance at the time I was I was definitely like it was a form that resonated with me and um yeah that you could have a job um collaborating and playing music in the dance studio um was amazing so I started doing that at Bennington which you know Bennington College has a long history uh, Martha Graham Jose Limon the history of contemporary dance and the history of Bennington College are very much intertwined um so that was really alive there, the, the culture of contemporary dance. And uh, yeah, so I've, that's partly how I've made a living for the last, I don't know, 18 years. And um, a mentor and friend of mine, Mike Vargas, he had the position at Smith, uh, dance musician position. And when he retired, um, I got that job. So part of what I do is collaborate and compose and improvise with dancers. Chris Aiken and Angie Hauser, who are in the department, are um, amazing improvisers. That's part of like the, the core of their work. So there's a lot of resonance with um, improvised and experimental music in the way they work and the way they rehearse. We just did a show to, as a quartet um, with the C. Lavender Suarez. I don't know if you know her. She wrote a, no. a great book on, on um, it's called Transcendental Waves on Sound Healing. Um, and then I'm as a soloist, I've been building modular synthesizer um, setups for, since quarantine. That's kind of a new practice um, outside of, of my work drumming. And uh, recently did a record called Trinities on, on pool music. And it kind of represents the first experiments with this um, setup, which is really... Um, connected to the time that Milford passed away um, and also the birth of my daughter Luce was building these um, sequencers that allowed me to improvise with a lot of Milford's um, underlying concepts about uh, triplets and about 12-8 and about um, different rhythmic concepts that aren't always intuitively inside electronic music, tempo changes, the idea of the chaotic heartbeat, a tempo that isn't stable. So I was kind of designing a way to improvise electronic music um, 
with these concepts in mind when you build a modular synthesizer. And for those of you who don't know, a modular synthesizer is when you see someone and there's a lot of wires and they're all connecting to different things and the wires are different colors. You're basically building an instrument and a compositional or improvisational logic at the same time because you're building the sonic element and you're also designing the way the sound is going to be treated. Is this artificial intelligence of some sort? Absolutely not. No, okay. it's just the opposite. Um, it's human intelligence. It's human, in, it's human intelligence it. and um, thinking about the ins and outs, what goes into something, what goes out, out of something. Those are all very much human-based decisions. And um, where the electronics part comes in is, is oscillators and the um, you know elect electronic music, essentially magnets vibrating against each other and creating waves in air. Um, not that different from acoustic instruments in my mind, but um, mm -hmm. so I'm touring with this setup um, presently. Um, I have some shows in Europe coming up, mostly in the UK and Scotland, uh, Cafe Otto in the end of May, and then I'll be back here playing at the Clark Art Museum in mid-August with uh, Ben Hall and a great trumpet player, Lemuel Mark, um, who's at the uh, conservatory right now. Um, but yeah, so that's like my main solo um, solo way that I'm playing music. I also have longstanding collaborations as a drummer with Paul Flaherty, um, Bill Nace, John Trzinski. Those um, those those opportunities arise every once in a while. Mm -hmm. If people want to find out more about you, your music, how, do you have a website? How do people find out about you? I don't have a website. Uh, you can find me on most... I'm really going to withdraw that question about artificial intelligence. <laughs> you don't have a website. I mean, maybe I'll ask ChatGP to build me one now, but um, I don't have a website. I do. You can find um, most of my records uh, on Bandcamp, um, and if you look me up there, and then the new records also on Spotify and iTunes and all that kind of stuff. So if you look up my name, Jake McGinsky, uh, you can find most of my music that way with a with an AI-assisted search on a Google <laughs> browser. <laughs> Great. Well, we have lots more to talk about. We haven't even talked about your work as a curator of the Hut series and, until recently, your Greenfield Club, 10 Forward. So we'll have to have you back on WHMP. That's a really great idea. So we're talking to Jake Professor, faculty member at Smith. He's a musician in dance, Jake McGinsky, and... Um, Really, just fascinating stuff, and thank you for the film. We all have to look it up. Yes, ben please Siegel, do. thank you for joining us again, as always, and bringing super talents, which you always do. Yes. Thank Indeed. you, Jake. And for your listeners, thank you so much for joining us on Talk to Talk. Remember, we're all trying to walk the walk. Tag, you're it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman Program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015-1400-1240 WHMP. <laughs> Want to make a difference in a big way? 
Nearly 200 children in Hampshire County are on a waiting list to be matched with adult mentors called BIGS. Children who are matched with mentors through Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County do better in school, report higher self-confidence, and have better relationships with peers. Start something. Call 413 Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, whmp.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 11.30.